Comments made on the Ceratoc Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. It's time for High Contrast, the show where we talk about everything visually impaired for those that are sort of trapped between the seeing and not-so-seeing. Today, we have the same band of characters that we always do. Uh, I am Rodney Edgar. I am over at TechAccessWeekly.com, and we are joined today by Mari Hill of the Zoomed In blog over at AISquared.com. Hi, Rodney. How are you? It's a sunny day here in Vermont, finally. Good. It's kind of chilly here in the middle of North Carolina. And we were also joined by Jeremy Curry of GWMicro.com. Hey there, Mr. Rodney. How is it going? Oh, it's rolling along, rolling along as we try to get another podcast out. Last time, we very quickly went through the specs and update information for the iOS 6, the iPhone 5 that was released. Now, has anyone played with things in order to give us sort of an overview of what you like, what you don't like? This is being recorded right after the infamous Saturday Night Live skit where they talked about... (laughs) scratches and blue blurs and it's too thin and things like that and nobody's ever told me that I was too thin so what do you think (laughs) I haven't had my hands on the iPhone 5 so I can't comment about the physical device anyone else I have been able to see it just once because um, my friend actually got one I thought it was very thin it was actually lighter than I thought it was going to be and I thought maybe it might be too tall, but it wasn't. It it felt like a real nice thin device. So, and after that SNL skit, I mean, how could you be complaining about anything? <laughs> oh, it's <right>? too tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will include a link to YouTube where you can find a copy of that uh, skit from Saturday Night Live. I have one of the iPhone fives. Actually, we have two of them here. I found it like Jeremy. It's lighter. I was kind of thinking, oh, well, it might be too big as far as lengthwise. But uh, for me, it fits my hands fine. I can thumb to the top and the bottom of the screen without really a problem. The extra row of icons definitely helps. Everything seems to be pretty good. I'm getting my first experience with Siri, which is different. I didn't think I would enjoy it, but I'm able to sit here on Saturday afternoon and say, uh, what's the score of the such-and-such football game, and I can get a score? Unless Siri just sits there and sort of stares at me like, um, uh, did you ask me something? I didn't quite get it. Uh, that's, that's really my only complaint with Siri is that sometimes it – It'll answer one question, and the very next question that you ask will just give you sort of, hmm, no response. Okay. But I did tell it one time that, Siri, you suck. And all of a sudden, it comes back with, but, but, but. So that was kind of amusing. (laughs) I have the iPhone 4S, and I got it when it came out. And the reason I felt it was time to jump in is because of Siri. And now that I have iOS 6, I'm glad that they've added functionality to Siri because I just think it has a lot of potential and it will just get better and better. The fact that it opens apps now, I really like that because I have like five screens of apps and I never know where anything is. And now it doesn't matter. I can just ask Siri to 
open motion x gps or ibooks or whatever and that's a big deal to me anything that makes you enter whatever you want to do makes that entryway smoother and easier um i like a lot so has anyone tried the making a restaurant reservation using siri i have not gone that far uh I'm too cheap to go out. I'm sort of like Jeremy Curry in most respects. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be frugal, as he puts it, you know, but uh, I have done like setting reminders and calendar events and stopwatch timings and things like that. So all of that's good. The launching of apps yeah. is a really big plus, which I know all the people that have Android are going to say, we already had that. <laughs> oh, and since I'm so cheap, I only have the 3GS, so I don't have Siri. <laughs> I really like it. I mean, I don't think I'd have an iPhone if it didn't add Siri. But it is frustrating when it doesn't work. I don't mind when it doesn't understand me, but I don't know. I guess the Siri servers get busy, and it doesn't really respond. And I was also wondering, do you have better luck with Siri when you have a Wi-Fi connection, or is that completely not important. For me, it doesn't matter whether I'm on LTE, 3G, or Wi-Fi. It, it'll just drop out and just sit there and stare at you for the time. It also gets confused, seeing as how I'm in the South, I can't get any updates on NASCAR. It doesn't understand NASCAR. I can look up NASCAR on the web for you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a disturbance. Uh, but they as might far add as, that, though. Yeah, maybe. At some point, I have tried the maps that everyone's been complaining about. And so far, I really haven't run into any issues with directions being incorrect. It is kind of nice to use the Apple Maps. It doesn't really look a lot different. But I know in some parts of the country and the world that towns and cities are just open deserts. So that's not a good thing. But it is going to improve. Has anyone had issues with any type of app that you use? use on a daily basis in iOS 6? Not that I've seen. Mm, I, I, no. My wife does have the 4S, and we actually used it for navigation with maps, and it seemed to be okay. But about the only thing that she's really seen and that I've seen when I've used her phone is that all of the icons were readjusted, which you'd think that it would leave those alone, but um, apparently it didn't. But as far as app functionality, it seems to be okay. I tried asking directions through Siri on my walk home from work, which is not very complicated. It's go 500 feet, take a right, and go 600 feet. <laughs> Wasn't much to it, but I decided to trick it and take a right-hand turn early, and I was hoping it would recalculate, but it didn't. But I guess I'm expecting too much from it. Well, sometimes if you're too close to the location, it doesn't realize that you've veered off course. Uh, I have seen that with Garmin's and TomTom's before. It'll just sort of say, okay, you're right there at your destination. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of like yeah. you're in a big parking lot or something. Some of the things that I saw that were really well improved are, say, the privacy settings. You now have a privacy setting to where you can turn on what information is shared, that kind of thing. I did see that there is a new advertising section. If you go under your settings general about and go all the way to the very bottom, there is an advertising section where you can actually limit how much information is given to advertisers. Ooh, That's kind of nice to know about. Yeah. I mean, granted, I 
think that targeted ads are a good thing because I don't really need women's products on my phone. I'd much rather have technology or something if they figure out that, hey, you would much rather know about a monitor instead of a purse. (laughs) Not that a purse is bad, but just saying. Right. Now, I noticed that did the Bluetooth setting change location in settings? It seems more obvious now. Like you open settings and there it is, Bluetooth. Whereas before, I think it was under general. Before you had to go into a menu in order to get to it. Right. And now there's also a toggle for private time, you know, your sleep time, so that your apps and things do not disturb you. Yes, do I Do not disturb, I guess it's called. Right. But then you can go into notifications also, and then do not disturb and kind of customize it. Have you done that? So that it puts do not disturb on automatically from certain hours, like 10 p.m. to 7 a.m., which is kind of handy. Yeah, that seems to work pretty good. On my wife's phone, she's using Echophone for Twitter, and for some reason all of the settings under privacy and do not disturb are set correctly, but Echophone still sends her a tweet at 2 in the morning. So uh, it's not completely flawless at this point. Okay. One thing that I've noticed on iOS 6 on the iPad, the new iPad, iPad 3, iPad HD, whatever you want to call it, with Retina, yada, yada, is that it seems like the touch interface is a little bit different. Sometimes I have to tap twice or swipe a di- more times than just once in order to get different functionality to activate. I've encountered that on the iPhone 5, but I've put it in a OtterBox in order to keep it from scratching, sliding off the table and that kind of thing. And I've heard a few people on other podcasts mention that they're kind of curious if the touch interface has been changed by Apple. Yeah, since updating to iOS 6 on my iPhone, it seems like some of them changed because I sometimes I can't seem to figure out what gesture to do. Two fingers, three fingers, four fingers. So I haven't quite nailed it down yet. Yeah, I've also been playing with the uh, voiceover and Zoom feature because I'm not that big of a voiceover user on the iPhone and iPad. But I can see where I might actually start using it more because I can still get around with the Zoom feature and then have voiceover read things as I need it. So to me, that's a big improvement. I've seen on a few demonstrations on YouTube where people have used both Zoom and VoiceOver together, and the Zoom will actually track where VoiceOver is going. But I find that that's a little cumbersome depending on how large you have your Zoom in place because it doesn't seem like it does move at times. So, Rodney, you say you use it sometimes. Do you turn VoiceOver on and off, or how do you normally deal with that? Normally, I just use Zoom all the time, and then if I go into an email that is too lengthy or something, I'll turn VoiceOver on and let it read it, and then I'll turn it back off. Do you use a triple-click home button, or did they add another feature that you use to turn that on? Uh, No, I'm still using the triple-click home, which is another podcast. (laughs) Shameless plug. (laughs) One of the things I was wondering is some of the gestures were supposed to interfere. For example, I think it's speech on, speech off, and magnification on and off if you do your double tap with three fingers, etc. But I'm guessing since you don't use voiceover that much, you're probably not running into many of those conflicts. The only things where I have run into issues is trying to get it to like change pages. 
like to go from one screen to the next screen or something. I've, I've run into it being a little sluggish and I'm kind of like, well, is that the gesture causing the problem or is it the otter box? And mm. I still have the same issue a little bit on the iPad, which is plain glass. I don't have any screen protector or anything on that one. So I guess it sort of varies, but I'm slowly getting used to voiceover. When you mentioned the tracking, is the tracking something you can turn on and off or how does that function? It seems to just be a as is. You really can't turn it off or anything. So are are you watching your email then as you're reading it with voiceover or are you just sitting back and listening? I've tried to look at it, but it's sort of like, okay, I've got it zoomed. What does it do? Uh, It'll sort of highlight a big block and then all of a sudden... It'll jump to the next block, so the screen actually doesn't move any. So mm. you can't really read along with voiceover as it goes along a big page of text or anything, or at least not that I've found yet. Very interesting. Now, one thing that everyone has sort of been talking about is, as we mentioned before, the blue blur in the camera, if you're trying to take a picture of the sun, why you would do that. I don't really know. Um, All cameras (laughs) seem to have this, but it's this special blue blur that everyone is fixated on. Uh, Some are thinking that it's probably because of the sapphire lens cover that they've got on the phone. Who knows exactly? But I have been playing a little bit with the panorama. I have to say that I am amazed by that because I've used things like Auto Stitch and Panorama 360, I believe it's called. And you always get the little jagged edges where the pictures don't quite match up correctly because you're holding it with your hand. If you actually put it on, say, a tripod or something, it seem to do a lot better. But the panorama that Apple has done is, to me, amazing because I can take a panorama and it'll stitch it back together. And you really have to look at it closely in order to have any type of artifacts. And I will say that the iPhone 5 is a little bit better in low light situations. It's good when it's almost dark. You can actually take some better pictures and it sort of guesses at what it needs to project images of. But I do find, and a lot of other people have mentioned, uh, like Andy Anatko over at the Chicago Sun-Times, he did a big thing on it. If it's sort of dusk, not really dark, not really light, it's kind of in between, the iPhone 5 seems to try and make the picture brighter. So everything sort of gets a little blown out and a little blurry. Most likely there will be a iOS 6.1 at some point that will probably adjust that. But right now it seems like it's trying to be a little too sensitive. Uh, Have either of you heard anything from people that you know that have had iPhone five or iOS six? I haven't heard anything negative about that other than just stuff that I've heard in the media, but not from anybody directly that I know. I haven't either. I think I heard someone uh, really likes the panorama feature, but no, they didn't mention the lighting problem iOS 6 has a lot of different updates. I believe there's also Passbook, which I have no use in using at the moment, and a whole bunch of other features. And if you would like to check out more information on that, there will be some links in the show notes. You can also head over to appleviz.com in order to get some of their information and check out the plethora of SPN podcasts. And you can get more information over at serotalk.com. Last month, we had a lot of discussions about Jeremy Curry and the song about him and 
all of that kind of jazz. So this week, we're going to continue the trend by talking with Mari about her wonderful experience with the stem cell trial that she's a part of that many people are reading about on the Zoomed In blog. Yeah, thanks, Rodney. As many of you know, or if you don't know, I'll explain. I'm participating in a clinical trial involving stem cell injection into one of my eyes, my worst eye, and I'll explain a little bit about that. I found out about the trial on clinicaltrials.gov, and also they had a news story about it on CBS Morning News, I believe, and a couple other places in January, I believe, of last year. At any rate, I um, started looking into it and discovered that there's all sorts of inclusion and exclusion criteria to participate in this particular trial. And I fit all the criteria. Nothing seemed to exclude me. And so I began seeing if I could get in, not really thinking that it would happen, but I kind of wanted to go through the process so that I could write about it. Okay, I found out that I fit this criteria. However, you know, they already had enough patients lined up, et cetera, et cetera. But as it turned out, I got in. And what it is, is a company called Advanced Cell Technology is sponsor of the trial. And full disclosure, I I did purchase some stock in advanced cell technology. And also, what I'm going to describe about the trial, just keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going to tell you what I know and my experience. So, advanced cell technology is the sponsor, but they have several clinical sites throughout the country that are participating in the trial, meaning they get different trial sites so that there's no bias and whatever other factors that might change the outcome of the trial. They kind of want to spread it around. And there are two kind of simultaneous trials going on, one for age-related macular degeneration and one for Stargardt disease. I have Stargardt disease but it is very, very similar to age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. AMD is basically dry macular degeneration. It's not the wet kind where you have blood vessels in your eye not behaving. It's a more slowly progressing disease like Stargardt. However, with Stargardt, it's a juvenile form, so it starts having an impact on your vision at an earlier age. For me, I noticed something in my 20s, but I still had pretty good vision, 2030. And then when I was 35, I was finally diagnosed, and currently I'm 52. And both eyes have pretty poor central vision. And oddly, the dry AMD is very similar in the physiology as far as what happens in your eye to cause this poor central vision. So the two studies involve 12 people each, 
And it turns out it's a little bit more difficult getting the AMD patients because they're an older population and the health criteria is pretty strict. No previous forms of any kind of cancer, skin cancer, precancerous polyps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as luck would have it, I had a colonoscopy within the year. And the timing just happened to be right. I called Will's Eye Institute in Philadelphia, and they had one or two people lined up for Stargard. And for whatever reason, perhaps they failed one of the cancer tests at the last minute. I had already had a lot of these tests done within the year. So they didn't have to go through all the screening and then have have me fail a test. I had already had the results of a lot of those tests. So a lot of it was luck and timing getting in. And just curious, Rodney and Jeremy, do you have any questions so far? I've read a lot of your blog posts. I think I've read all of them about how things are changing. And at least from what I remember, you said there wasn't anything real noticeable yet. Is that still the case? Are you seeing anything differently or you feel like you see anything differently than you did prior to when you started doing this? That is still pretty much the case. If I didn't know I had eye surgery, this procedure, I wouldn't know any different. For the first few months, I spent a lot of time with one eye closed, just checking to see if anything looked different. And it's surprising how hard it is to tell of a change. I thought because that eye was so far gone as far as centrally that I would notice any little change. I've had a lot of tests and at the three-month mark, I had a multifocal ERG and a Humphrey visual field test, a Goldman visual field test. I noticed in one area I could see the circular light a lot clearer in one part. And the doctor feels that that was the area of cell injection. But the tests are not making it completely clear that, in fact, there has been a notable change. But those RPE cells are still in there doing their work. So I have hope that something still could happen. But on the flip side, it's certainly possible that nothing will with me because my photoreceptors had been gone for so long in that eye that perhaps the regeneration is not possible. But no one knows at this point. There just haven't been enough people um, who have gone through this procedure to know for sure. And I'm realizing what a huge continuum of vision loss there is and how hard it is to judge like, okay, did I see that better before or not? And I'm also surprised at the subjectivity aspect of it, which is fine because now with the eye, we have so many incredible tests that Eventually, if there is a notable change, there will be tests to kind of confirm that. But right now, it's kind of wishy-washy, I guess I would say. Mm. 
I'm trying to remember, do you have any light sensitivity at all because of some of those cells dying? Or I don't think yes. you did, I'm trying to remember. Well, I do. I certainly do. But not like others. And, and let me talk about what you go through being in, in this particular trial and probably a lot of different eye trials. You get a lot of the eye photography, the I don't know how to pronounce it, but something like autofluorescent angiography. Does that sound good? And yeah. and yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and OCT and the multifocal ERG and there's there's another coloromatic machine or something. All of those present extremely bright lights into your eye at times, and. Yes, I'm sensitive to light, but for me, it's an extreme annoyance. However, it's not painful. I know some would probably get absolute migraines going through this. So I'm pretty lucky in that way. And also, they draw a lot of blood each time I visit because, well, not a lot of blood, but they draw blood every time I visit, and I'm not an easy stick, as they call it. I have very small veins that like to hide. So you have to be able to withstand that, which I can. I'm pretty tough about that. And I I think you have to enjoy the process and the science to be in one of these trials and also realize that it is a trial. And that's why there's all this rigmarole. Once this type of treatment, I wouldn't say that it necessarily will end up exactly like what I had, but if this ever does come to fruition and it's a standard procedure, which would be great in the future, the procedure itself is really not much at all. It's an outpatient procedure. The procedure itself took, I believe, three minutes. The recovery was nothing to complain about. Um, I wore that ugly eye patch that you maybe saw in a picture of mine for only that day and then took that off. I had poorer vision in my treated eye than I, what, what I had before for one week. And that was only because the process involves a vitrectomy, which is a very, very common procedure where they, in this case, took out vitreous fluid to make room for the stem cell solution, and then a gas gets introduced following that. And it causes this strange gas bubble in your eye, and it looks like someone is holding a one-inch magnifier about one inch in front of your eye. And it's very, very, Mm. very odd, and it kind of floats around there as you move your eye. So it's a distraction for one week, and then it goes away. And then I was back to pre-surgery condition, I would say, in about a week. No more than 10 days, but I think it was about seven days. So as far as the surgery and that goes, it's really not much at all, considering what in the future, hopefully, it could do for people. And kind of the neat thing about this is it hopes to treat two different diseases, hopefully, and maybe more, as I said, AMD and Stargardt, which have a different source. You know, the reason that you get this disease is for different reasons. 
In the case of Stargardt, it's a defective gene. In the case of AMD, I'm not really sure, but I think it's more of a multitude of factors that cause it, some of them possibly being environmental. And again, I'm not a doctor, so I hope I'm giving that information correctly. So the cool thing is different root cause, but it actually kind of physiologically, I believe, does the same thing in the eye in that the RPE cells that are in your RPE layer where your photoreceptor cells live, they don't have a certain enzyme and or protein or whatever, and so they don't function properly. And the function of those RPE cells is to kind of munch up the garbage, the flaking off that occurs daily of photoreceptor cells. That's a natural, some kind of process between vitamin A and light that in a normal eye, you have normal flaking off of your photoreceptor cells. And these RPE cells kind of get rid of that garbage and keep your photoreceptor cells healthy. So that's the action that's not working properly. So when I say I got stem cells injected into my eye, what that really means is they took cells and kind of coaxed them into being healthy new RPE cells and injected 100,000 RPE cells into my eye. Do you have any questions up to this point? Well, kind of going back to the light sensitivity and seeing some of those changes, are you feeling like you're less light sensitive at all? It, it kind of sounds like maybe things are so preliminary or maybe we're damaged enough where you're not quite seeing some changes. I guess I'm most interested in what are the changes that you're seeing? Um, I know you said you saw some things clearer, but are there any other changes that you're seeing in the positive way? I'm not sure. When I was telling the doctor, it seems like it's harder for me to make a big bright light disappear where my bad central vision is. For example, going down the interstate at night and having headlights come at you, not an interstate, a two-way highway, okay? And if I close one eye and watch those headlights come through, I noticed, you know, before surgery and a couple months after surgery or a month after surgery that I could actually close my good eye and watch the car come down the highway and turn my eye into it a certain way where the headlights would completely disappear and they would not come into view again until the car passed so that I could see the headlights with my peripheral vision because I was still looking straight ahead. And I had never done that, you know, through the years. And I was pretty amazed that I could make a set of bright car headlights disappear by looking straight at it. And it seems like maybe it's harder to do that now, but I don't know for sure. So I hesitate to say anything without really knowing absolutely sure and having the tests behind it. But I kind of wonder if some of it even could be like people don't even, even know they need glasses until somebody puts glasses on them and really shows the difference between 
you know, what they see and then what they could see. I wonder if some of the changes could right. be so incremental. Right. That, um, right. And, and you got to remember that Stargardt disease, this disease has been progressing slowly over many, many, many years. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, trying to reverse that. But I don't know much about the other patients. I'm only the fourth Stargardt patient and the first with this cell count of 100,000. The very first patient, she was on the news, exactly my age, Stargardt disease, and she said she threaded a needle. And that really caught the attention <laughs> of every Stargardt person that saw it. And uh, I'm far from threading a needle, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but, you know, that would be a, a notable change, you know. I, I know for sure that, that I can't thread a needle right now. But I'm sure there's something that I could notice before that, because that seems pretty extreme. And she's reading more lines on the eye chart. And I don't even see the letter on the eye chart at all. Like if I close my good eye and look straight at the biggest letter on the eye chart, whether it's one meter away or three meters away, the letter is completely off the page. It's white space. So that's a long way from seeing more more lines on the eye chart. And, you know, without talking to her myself, how do I know exactly what she saw beforehand? We might have been the same as far as an eye chart visual acuity test beforehand, as far as neither of us being able to see what the letters were, but maybe she was seeing part of the letter or it was pixelated, but I'm not seeing anything. It's very interesting, Maury, and I I hope it uh, improves for you. Yeah, well, it's definitely been interesting. It surprises me, the psychology of it. Like, I was, like, testing it out all the time, you know, like, oh, can I see my daughter's nose better, (laughs) you know? And I, I don't know. You know, when you're around your house, nothing is constant. You're in different lighting, You may be at a different distance. You know, I try to standardize a few tests around home, but but it's never really the same. Yeah, I bet it's going to be a somewhat different, I don't know if difficult, but at least a somewhat different road to travel. Well, Mari, I have to say this is extremely interesting, and I have absolutely no questions to ask because... I've read a lot of your uh, materials on the Zoomed In blog that you've been documenting, and I unfortunately have an eye condition where I wouldn't really be able to have any type of hope of having something like this with sort of the retina deficiency that I have. But anyway, if people would like to get more information on this great trial that Mari is going through, you can head over to aisquared.com slash blog to get some information. You can also check out the serotalk.com high contrast episode six show notes, as we will include some links to various information that you might find interesting. Also, if you have experience with trials such as the stem cell, or you have specific questions that Mari might want to address in a later episode, drop us a line over at resources at serotalk.com. And now that we are at a nice little stopping point, we will head into a short little message and we will return with Joe Steinkamp giving a review of You Don't Know Jack for 
the iPad, which I can't wait to hear that myself. Anyway, you are listening to High Contrast on SPN. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Hey, this is Cookie, and after this, I'll be hosting a trivia game on a graphing calculator. And we're off. Hey everyone, Joe's Camp back with you on High Contrast to talk about another app that I love playing with on the iPad, and that is You Don't Know Jack from Jellyvision, formerly Berkeley Systems, and I only know this because I've been playing these games since, ooh, the uh, mid-90s, and uh, the idea behind You Don't Know Jack is it's a classic trivia game, but it's presented in a game show format. So in this new version of You Don't Know Jack, They've broken it down into episodes. You have about 22 episodes that you can play. Uh, There is a free version of this app, by the way. So if you buy the app, actually, you can get to all 22 episodes. But if you just want to try this out on your own, you can use the uh, You Don't Know Jack free edition. Now, what happens is that you are a single player in this game show, and you're going to be presented with 10 trivia questions, and most of them are multiple choice. And the thing is, is that it's really based on pop culture references and jokes about celebrities and things like that. So if you're, if you're up to date on your current pop culture, you'll get the references a lot better, but the questions are not kind of soft questions and based on pop culture. No, it could be based on science or history or or a lot of crazy different things that they may come up with. How many bones would two and a half men actually have? 356, 515, 666, or 714? It is a very challenging game. There are no skill levels involved, so you can't do easy, medium, or hard. But you do have the ability to kind of pick up where you left off. So if you get a phone call or if you need to hit pause, you can actually pick up uh, where you left off, which is really nice if you are playing this in between situations. Now, low vision wise, this is an easy game to play because it is generally whitish text on a black background. There is a picture in the background that changes occasionally, but it's not so distracting that you can't read the text. There are four options and you just have to tap the one that you think, uh, it works within the question within a certain period of time because you are timed on this the actual money or points that you make are pretty much garnered on how fast you can answer the question at the very end though and this is the part that i'm sad to report there's this thing called the jack attack now in past games uh, on the pc and the mac the jack attack actually was uh red and green letters or occasionally yellow letters on a black background and you actually hit the button to uh, come up with the answer when something comes up so if it was let's say certain catchphrases somebody might throw up a catchphrase of what the deuce and when Stewie Griffin would show up on screen, the word Stewie Griffin, you would tap the screen to go, oh yeah, that's his catchphrase. 
Well, in this new version, unfortunately, it is a whitish gray swirling background with black letters coming out of it towards the screen. And it's very difficult to read because the letters start off very far away and they're small. And by the time you probably make out the answer, it's probably too late to tap the screen to indicate that that was the one you wanted as the answer for that particular situation. And the answers, let's say again, uh, what the deuce is the words coming towards you. Well, the answers could be something like Brian Griffin, Stewie Griffin, Lewis Griffin, and they're popping up on the top or the bottom of the screen. And it's really hard for someone with field issues to be able to see this. Uh, and if you have any issues with black text on a white background, well, then you're probably just sunk. So uh, in a lot of cases, I end up just actually tossing the jack attack to my wife or a family member who's nearby if they want to play. Or they call out names and I give them the answers because I generally have the answers. If you're not really worried about the jack attack, uh, you actually can just not do anything and let it play all the way through and uh, it doesn't diminish from the game. It means you're not getting as much as a high score, but there are no achievements in the game center based on high scores. It's really just playing for pride, so you don't have to worry about that. They do make fun of you, uh, the host does, if you score a high amount of money or a low amount of money. Generally, he's pretty insulting all the way around, but that's just the way Cookie works. If you're like me, you're crazy. So it's You Don't Know Jack. It's available on the iOS store. It's fairly decent. And the best part about it is there's a free version so you can see what I'm talking about to see if you even want to check this out any further. It's a funny game. It does get a little risque at times, so just be forewarned. It's not adult, but there might be one or two jokes where you'll kind of scratch your head. So with another app review, I'm Joe Steinkamp for High Contrast. Well, that is going to wrap up another High Contrast here on the Serotalk Podcast Network, SPN for short. I am Rodney Edgar of TechAccessWeekly.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Rodney Edgar, R-O-D-N-E-Y-E-D-G-A-R. And as always, I want to thank our wonderful guest host, whatever you want to call him, Thank you for being here, Mari Hill of AI Squared's Zoomed In blog. Is there anything coming up on the Zoomed In blog that you want to mention? You can go to our blog, www.aisquared.com slash blog to read about the White Cane Safety Day event I went to up here in Rutland, Vermont, and keep updated on any updates I have on my stem cell clinical trial participation. And of course, there's always Zoom text tips and tricks to listen to on the blog. Outstanding. And thanks to Jeremy Curry of GW Micro for being here as well. It's always good to be here with you and Ms. Mori as well, Rodney. Very good. And thanks to Ranger, Mr. Joe Steinkamp, for helping out with this recording, as well as Derek, our audio engineer, that makes us sound a heck of a lot better than we really do. Uh, if you want to drop us emails, you can do that at resources at serotalk.com. You can also check out iBlink Radio for iOS and Android and visit serotalk.com for show notes and a ton of other information about SPN. Until next time. Thanks, Rodney and Jeremy. You guys have a great evening.